0: Hey welcome, we're kicking off a brand new series uh, called Unshakable Faith. We just want a big shout out, give a big shout out to everybody joining us. Uh, on our online campus, uh, this month of October, is there's a lot of history in this month, especially as we lead up to October the 31st. Uh, that's really the day back in 1517 when this Protestant Reformation started that we're all a part of uh, over 500 years ago, 504 years ago. And so we thought we'd just take this month to kind of look back, answer some questions sometimes that people have. We have so many people in our church family uh, that have come from a Roman Catholic Catholic background and then there's a lot of questions that come up, uh, you know, so I, I thought let, let's take four weeks and just look at some of these main differences, if you will. It's all the Christian faith, but some of the differences between Roman Catholic Christian uh, Christianity and Protestant Christianity and and because there's a lot of confusion really that comes uh, there's a lot of similarities but there's also a lot of differences when it comes to Catholics and Protestants so thank you for joining us I want to invite you back next week already Uh, even on our online campus it's going to be significantly different Uh, just the whole experience we're Gonna be finishing up a technology upgrade uh, that we've been working on and you will see the difference, no question about it. So, wanna invite you back for that. And we're gonna talk about answering the question, are we saved by faith or are we saved by faith and works? That's gonna be next week. But as we kick off today, let me just tell you what this series is not, okay? I just wanna make this real clear. This series is not about trashing uh, Roman Catholics. uh, My three daughters, Susie and I, our three daughters all attended. Catholic High School, Our Lady of Lords High School in Poughkeepsie. Uh, we, I coached there for three years as well. We have a lot of friends in the Catholic community, and I got to say this: we were during that time our girls were in high school there, and and I coached there as well. We're just really impressed by the faith and the quality of, of so many friends that we made over that time. Uh, We're also not approaching this subject from some sense of moral superiority uh, or or anything like that, and uh, this is not a critique of the Roman Catholic Church. So most of the people that, that grew up Roman Catholic, you know what the kind of the teachings of the the Roman Catholic Church are. This is more to highlight what does it mean to be Protestant and why we do what it is that we do. Uh, So this series is about exploring the differences in the family of Christ. That's Roman Catholics, Protestants and also Orthodox. They're all in the body of Christ, the family of Christ. Uh, And what we have in common, what makes us also distinct. Also understanding what we believe as Protestants and gaining confidence in Answering questions when our friends ask us, because it's not always like, well, let me go, you know, let me go talk to Pastor Greg and, and find out the answer to that. We want to just really equip you so you can answer some of those questions and really to develop a deep appreciation for our roots and our heritage as Protestants. And I think also to recognize uh, Roman Catholics as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what this series really is all about. So let me give you a little bit of background. Currently, best estimates in the world today, there are 1.3 billion Roman Catholics, 1.3 billion people that would claim Roman Catholic faith is the way they express uh, their 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 faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, As far as Protestants go, best estimates, there's one billion Protestants on the planet. Uh, In fact, read some statistics, 10% of the total population of the world is Protestant. Uh, And 40%, over 40% of those in the Christian faith are Protestant. So we're getting really, really close to half, which is really amazing when you think about it. Uh, only 500 years old, the Protestant church. Roman Catholic church is over 2,000 years old. So uh, growing fast, uh, to say the least. And, and so really, the word Catholic, a lot of times people get this mixed up. The word Catholic, and it would be in a little, little C, the word Catholic actually just means universal. So that's why we talk about it's not the Catholic Church, it's the Roman Catholic Church. The universal church is the entire body of Christ. But the word Catholic itself, if you look it up in the dictionary, it literally means universal. Uh, So in the Apostles' Creed, for instance, when it says, I believe in one holy Catholic church, that's not referring to Rome. uh, That's referring to the body of Christ, the universal church of Jesus Christ. And the reality is the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant wing of the Christian church, we really have the exact same mission, and that is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to administer the sacraments, and to exercise charity, uh, to really be Jesus' hands extended. And historically, the Roman Catholic Church has really done some amazing things throughout history, uh, and I think it's important that we understand that that's our history as well up until about 500 years ago. And Protestants and Roman Catholics have an awful lot in common, particularly fundamentals of the faith, and, and I, I put this together, together, Roman Catholics and Protestants, we all believe this in agreement. We believe in the Trinity, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the fall of man, the need of God's grace, atonement for sin, the resurrection, literal heaven, literal hell, and the second coming of of Jesus Christ this is uniform this is what we hold in common and and that's why we could actually say the Apostles Creed together or the Nicene Creed together if you learned those growing up Uh, those are the historical statements of the Christian faith the the fundamentals the essence of those so we're all on the same page when it comes to this that's why it's the body of Christ if you mess with any one of these things then all of a sudden it's really not Christianity anymore so this really is what defines the Christian faith understanding and agreement on those but there are some significant differences as I began to mention and we do have some doctrinal differences to say the least Uh, to understand these differences you have to actually kind of like jump back in a time machine so let's do that right now and go back to October the 31st 1517 and there was a catholic monk at at the time Uh, his name was martin luther and and he was really beginning to be disturbed by a a lot of things that he was seeing in the roman catholic church especially the whole idea particularly of the selling of indulgences uh, and, and that was used to finance the the build out of saint peter's basilica in rome it was that was the whole uh, behind-the-scenes purpose of the selling of indulgences. And we have a picture here of old Martin Luther. And, and literally what he did was, uh, he was a professor of theology uh, at the Catholic University. And the more that he studied what the Bible actually said, the more it troubled him. Uh, and, and it got to where, you know, looking at where the Roman Catholic Church was headed, far away from what the Bible actually talks about, the scripture itself. And, and as I said, specifically, he objected to the sale of indulgences to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and the idea there was that you could actually pay money uh, to buy an indulgence that would help get your loved one who has died and deceased and is in purgatory, get them out of purgatory sooner. Uh, again, the, the, you know, nothing in the Bible at all about that, and so that was really disturbing to him. And, and so he made basically uh, a list of 95 things that really uh, that that, that he had great concerns about that the Roman Catholic Church was doing at the time. It's called the 95 Theses, so it's statements, 95 problems, if you will, uh, that he said, this is not right, I don't see this in the pages of Scripture. And and what he wanted to do was to bring the Roman Catholic Church, bring it to the attention uh, of the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church, and bring it back to, reform it back to, pages of scripture and so basically what he was saying in this 95 points this outline that he put uh, that that he put together he was saying I protest these 95 things And, and that was the beginning of the protestant protest that's where the word comes from the protestant reformation we protested the direction the Roman Catholic Church was going in and wanted to bring it back to the pages of scripture and really the first three centuries of the first 300 years of the Christian church and he he got that 95 Thesis, and he nailed it on the wall of Wittenberg Church. In fact, here it is. That's me standing there. I'm, I'm, he, he nailed it on the door of Wittenberg Church, uh, and that's literally written out there today. It's a metal kind of covering over the door, The 95 Thesis of Martin Luther's. Crazy. This picture was taken. It's just mind-blowing. Susie and I were in Germany, and this picture was taken on October the 21st, 2017. Almost 500 years to the day of when he actually nailed it on the door there of the church. And and the reason he nailed it on the door was not, you know, he wasn't being irreverent, but that was kind of like the community bulletin board back then. You would nail something on the door like tag sale over at the Williamson's or something like that. Because everyone would go through that door, they'd see what was happening in the community. And so almost 500 years to the day, we had the opportunity to travel to Germany, see some of Susie's family there, and, and travel around to some of these incredible historic sites. And so that's yours truly right there with my glasses on, uh, standing in front of that spot. Almost 500 years to today. Really, really remarkable. And all the Reformers, their whole desire was to return the Catholic Church back to the simplicity of the Christian faith again, that's found in the scripture and and what the church actually did for the first 300 years, uh, looking to the Bible as really the source of authority. So there were three guiding principles to the Reformation, and these are really important for us as Protestants. The the first one, and these are in Latin, and I'll give the explanation, the first one was sola scriptura, which basically means scripture alone. In, In other words, God's word is the thing we base all of our authority on, God's word. And, and the Bible is the only infallible source of truth on the planet. No man, no church, just the Bible. We have to go back to the scripture. In fact, Martin Luther put it this way, a simple layman armed with, with scriptures is more powerful than the mightiest pope without it. And, and the reality is back. 500 years ago, you weren't even allowed to have a Bible in your possession. The Bible, if it was in the, the actual Catholic Roman Catholic Church, was chained to the pulpit. And, and only the priest could read it, and it was only in Latin, and not all the priests even spoke Latin at that point 500 years ago. And, and Martin Luther is responsible for the fact that you can actually read the Bible yourself. He's the one. He translated it into the language of the common people because he said, the people deserve the Scripture. It shouldn't be chained to a pulpit, it's the people's possession. And so the very fact that you can look at it on an app or you can read in the Bible, that is because of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and in fact the Roman Catholic Church did not like it and actually wanted to kill him because he did that, and, and along with several other things. So that's just one of the things we take for granted that we can look at the U-version Bible app We can thank old Marty Luther for that because that's where the power really comes from, sola scriptura. The second rally cry of the Reformation was sola fida, which means faith alone. Faith alone, a man is made right with God through simple faith in contrast to the idea that I'm saved by my good works plus faith. And we're gonna talk about that next week and see what the Bible actually says. Are we saved by faith alone or is it faith and the good stuff that we do for God? Here's just one hint. The Bible puts it this way. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from you. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so no one can boast. Again, as Protestants, we go back to what does the word of God say? What does the Bible say? Because that doesn't change. What does the Bible say? It's the only uh, really objective measuring stick. And that's what Martin Luther, as he studied and he was training to be a lawyer before, interesting story, he became a priest uh, and and a professor of theology uh, and and he understood and had a brilliant mind and, and as he was studying the scripture, he's like, no, it's just by faith. It's by faith that we're saved. It's not by our works. So you can only receive a gift that you don't pay for. Otherwise, it's not a gift. And it says it's a gift. This is the gift of God. You can only receive a gift that you don't pay for, and any good works that we do flow out of gratitude for what God has done for us through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we're saved by faith alone. So this is a major rally cry of the Reformation. Scripture alone, faith alone. And the third one is, solo Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. Every person who believes in Christ's sacrifice for their sins has direct access to God doesn't have to go through a priest doesn't have to go through a saint every single person who receives Christ's sacrifice for their sins has direct access. Christ alone solo Cristo. and the Bible talks about also this whole idea and we'll talk about this in two weeks when we talk about pastor or priest what's the difference between the two huge difference between the two Uh, and and it's not just the way we dress it's a huge difference between just what what a priest does and what a pastor does what the bible says leadership in the church is supposed to look like but the bible talks about the priesthood of all believers that every believer that places their faith in christ is really seen as a kingdom as a nation of priests so reviewing it all here they are sola scriptura scripture alone sola fita faith alone sola Christo Christ alone and it looks like we misspelled scripture right there we'll put that c in for next time that we we go over this so scripture alone faith alone and Christ alone when when Martin Luther nailed this 95 thesis to the door there of of the church in Wittenberg Germany he was of course (laughs) causing quite a disruption. And Pope Leo X opened a heresy trial against Martin Luther and and said, are you going to recant? And you have to recant because if you're found guilty of heresy, you're going to be executed. And Martin Luther took some time and just weighed what his response was going to be. And then he said these words, My conscience is held captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do nothing else. And that was, boy, that was the spark at that point. When he said, I cannot, my conscience will not allow me to violate the clear commandments and writings of Scripture. And so basically he's saying, if you're going to kill me, then kill me. But I will not recant. Here I stand on God's word. I can do nothing else. And the Protestant Reformation has changed economics. It has changed art. It has changed nations. Literally, nations have been formed as a result of the Protestant Reformation. It's just—it's—it's amazing. Culture, society, just totally martin luther had no idea what was what was really happening but god did but god did to bring the church back to its original roots here i stand i can do nothing else martin luther was excommunicated in 1521 and uh he was declared an outlaw by law and made a crime for anyone to give him food or shelter they would be executed if anyone fed him anything or gave him shelter His friends risked their lives and actually kidnapped him. And and he held up for over a year in a castle in Wartburg, Germany. And that's where he, on his own, because he knew Latin and he knew the Scripture, he translated the Bible, the New Testament, into the language of the German people. At the same time, just a few years earlier, was a Gutenberg printing press, movable type printing press that had been invented. And it allowed mass production of the Scripture in the language of the German people and it began to flood the nation of Germany and so many began to say yes this is right this is what God's word actually says and echo what Martin Luther said here we stand we can do nothing else this is where our faith has to be grounded on God's word and so how do we know what truth is how do we really know what truth is that's a fundamental question of the reformation Uh, and Martin Luther said the Bible, this is the objective truth of God's word. This this is what we have to see as truth. So as Protestants, we believe the Bible plus nothing equals truth. Again, Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do nothing else. What does God's word say? That's why it's so important. That's why even our church services as Protestants are all about the reading of God's word, the teaching of God's word, because our faith is based on God's word. Roman Catholic service, a mass, is really the focus is on the Eucharist. And the homily may be only 10 minutes long because the emphasis is not on God's word. The emphasis is on the Eucharist and and the tradition. But as Protestants, it's on God's word. That's why what center in almost all Protestant churches, you'll see the pulpit or a table or something like that. It's in the middle of the stage, in in the altar, if you want to call it that. It's always in the middle. In Roman Catholic Church, what's in the middle as you look at the design and the architecture is the Eucharist. Because it's not about God's Word is the central thing. It's the tradition of the Eucharist that has developed. And so as Protestants, the Bible plus nothing equals truth. Because the Bible itself says in 2 Timothy... All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, right out of the pages of scripture there. And so God's word is what a Protestant church service is really all about. Now, that's how we define truth. Roman Catholics define truth as the Bible plus tradition equals truth. So they say, not just this, but actually, and I have here the catechism of the Catholic Church. This is the tradition. Not just this. This is not just truth. This is just half truth. This is the rest of the truth. These two things together, this is what real truth is. Tradition plus God's Word equals truth. Protestants, no, it's just this. Catholics, no, it's this. It's almost double of what God's Word actually is. And, and the pages are much thinner, and the writing is much smaller in this Bible than it is in this book. And so, these two things, this is what truth is. And so the reality is, Roman Catholic faith, truth always can change. Because it's not just objective, God's Word It's based on church councils, decisions that are made is based on what the Pope says, so this change and this has to be updated on a regular basis. This version actually is from two thousand and fourteen and uh, maybe there's even a more updated version, uh, but this was actually printed in two thousand and fourteen so the Roman Catholic view is Bible plus tradition equals truth and and just an example of this right out of Catholic catechism, dogmatic constitution of the divine says it this way, both sacred tradition and sacred scriptures are to be accepted and venerated with the same sense of loyalty and reverence. So not just this, this is on the exact same level. This is, these two together, you can't just take this by itself. And in essence, they're saying you can't just take this either. However, most people that I know that were raised Roman Catholic have very little knowledge of this whatsoever, but they know this frontwards, backwards, inside and out. And, and yet the, the Roman Catholic Church itself says, no, it's these two things. This is what truth is, and they're on the same exact level. And so that's a major difference between Roman Catholic faith, the Christian faith, and Protestant Christian faith and doctrines have been added over the years to the church things like the celibacy of the priesthood that's not in the Bible that was added years and years later. Uh, Things like penance for the dead, that's nowhere in the scriptures. That was added years later. The veneration of saints, prayers to Mary, those things were added, have been added over the last 2,000 years or so, and new doctrines historically in the Catholic church uh, bring a lot of controversy. Let me give you some examples, and these are actually the church councils that decided these things, and the dates. It's pretty amazing. Uh, The whole idea of transubstantiation, and we're going to talk about that in the last message when we talk about is it the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper but the idea from the Roman Catholic point of view that the bread and the cup the wine actually become the physical body of Jesus Christ that only became doctrine at the fourth lateral council of the Roman Catholic Church in 1214 1,200 years after Christ's death that became the official position of the church you can check it out it's right all documented right here in Catholic Catechism. Also, in 1274, again, over 1,200 years uh, after the time of Christ, the whole idea of purgatory became official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. That was the Second Council of Lyons, And probably the, one of the most uh, shocking to, to many that grew up Roman Catholic It was in 1870 that the whole idea of papal infallibility actually became official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Think about that. In America, that's shortly after the time of the Civil War was when the Roman Catholic Church said, the Pope, when he speaks uh, ex cathedra, he speaks with the authority. What he says is completely inerrant, and it's impossible for him to ever be wrong. That was in 1870. That's found the dogmatic constitution on the Church of Christ in the fourth volume there. And so these things are, are very controversial, added after the close of Scripture, way over 1,000, almost 2,000 years after the close uh, of the canon of Scripture. And so they tend to be very, very controversy, controversial. And here's the thing that I love when I read the Bible, when I think about who Jesus was, the reality was... Uh, jesus was the first protestant jesus was the first protestant what do you mean by that greg well the reality was even when jesus came he's god himself you know the savior of the world the creator of everything but at that time there were leaders in the faith that were adding their traditions to god's word at the time all they had was the old testament but they'd add so many layers and layers of the traditions of men to the Old Testament scripture as Jesus is actually living and authoring the New Testament uh, in his ministry and in his life that, that Jesus actually said, You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> hey, time out, y'all. <laughs> That's not supposed to be happening. Uh, One of the places that he talks about that is in Mark chapter 7, and look at what Jesus says. He says, and he he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. In, In essence, he's like, you're setting this aside, and you're elevating your own traditions, your own custom. You're overemphasizing things that God did not overemphasize, and you're putting layers on top of God's Word. It's like, it's not supposed to be happening, Whenever you add something to the Word of God, that's why this is so important as Protestants, that we recognize whenever you add something to the Word of God, you subtract a little bit from the authority of the Word of God. Whenever you add something to the Word of God, you subtract from the authority of the Word of God. You can no longer say like Martin Luther, here I stand on this objective truth. I can do nothing else. And so you're left with church councils updating what is truth. And what does God really say and what does God really believe. In fact later on in Mark chapter 7 verse 13 Jesus put it this way. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. He says when you add tradition to the word of God you nullify it. It loses its power. It loses its authority and and it was happening to the Word of God back in the time of Jesus when all they had was just the Old Testament and it's been happening ever since and that's what Martin Luther was like we've got to get back to Old and New Testament what does God's Word say it's objective and it never changes and so before you jump all over the Catholics, the Roman Catholics, let me just say it this way. You know, let's be honest. Every church has its own traditions too. And the problem is when we begin to elevate our traditions over what God's word actually has to say. Churches tend to focus too much on the outside and fail to engage the heart, and that's exactly what was happening here in Mark chapter 7. That's exactly what was happening 500 years ago as well with the Protestant Reformation started. There's all kinds of examples of this. Let me give you one that I was thinking about could actually be... We're not going to allow it to, but could be an example of how a problem like this gets started. One of our traditions here at Valley Christian Church is that we love to dismiss with the blessing, to bless the people, to end our services with a blessing over the people from the pages of Scripture. And I think it's fantastic. And, and as I've shared before, my parents blessed me with that blessing every single day before I went, my, myself and our siblings, when we went out to catch the bus in school. You know, from kindergarten all the way to graduation of high school, every day. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, now that's a tradition, and there's nothing wrong with that. But watch. If we ever cross the line to say, you are not blessed by God, Unless you come to church and receive that blessing and we begin to overemphasize that, then we're making God's word null and void, because that's not what God's word says. You have to get this blessing in order to be blessed. And so it's a tradition that we have. But if we elevate that tradition, if it's like one if, if one Sunday we don't do that at the end of a service, it's not like, oh no, we're all cursed. We're not blessed anymore. That's when the traditions of men that are handed down, we begin to nullify God's Word. That's not what the, God's Word says. And, and so anytime we elevate any tradition, sometimes, you know, churches have tradition like you got to wear your Sunday best. So you got suits and ties and all that. There's just, there's, there's nothing in the Bible about that. Jesus didn't have a Sunday best. None of the disciples had Sunday best. But, but when you begin to elevate a tradition and you put it on the same level as God's word, we're always going to run into all kinds of trouble. And the reality is many Protestant churches have also elevated tradition over scripture. But One of the scriptures I love the most, and this is what I hope as Valley Christian Church family that we are, in the book of Acts, it talks about a, a, a real incredible, passionate Group of people that pursued God and His Word, and look at what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, "Now the Berean Jews—that was Jews that had placed their faith in Christ—that uh, lived in Berea. It says the Berean Jews were more noble, uh, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, and here's the reason why: for they received the message." That's the message of Christ, with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so that's why we have my notes for my sermons on our website every single week and anyone else is preaching on our website that's why we encourage you to take notes that's why we encourage sermon discussion groups small groups because we want you to search the scripture see if this is really what God's word is saying not what Greg is saying not what uh, someone else you know some rock star preacher is saying what does God's word actually say My experience in 31 years of being a pastor is this. Most of the conflict in church, most of the disagreements in church have nothing to do with God's word. It has everything to do with traditions and personal preferences. And and it's not about eagerly receiving the message of Christ and examining the scripture. What does God's word have to say? Martin Luther, here I stand. I can do nothing else. That's our history as Protestants. And, and and again the scripture talks a lot about this whole idea of elevating tradition over God's word. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, the Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on, what is it? Human tradition. That no one seizes your thinking, grabs your focus away from God's word, and and just look at these traditions. You got to do these things instead. And the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than where's our focus? On Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, that that Christ embodied that He is the Word. That's why the focus has to be upon God's Word, not on tradition. And and so, Valley Christian Church here, we are, I'd put it this way, a biblically based, Christ centered Protestant church. Biblically based. If you're biblically based, then Jesus is going to be at the center of everything. It's about Him, it's about His Word. And it's about who he is. Because here's the thing that's so important, and last little point I want to make to cover is what you believe impacts how you approach God. The reality is what you believe impacts how you approach God. See, the Bible says, we're going to get much deeper into this next week, but the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God everyone the only one who did is Jesus the bible also says he was without sin he's the only one the bible says was without sin and, and what you believe really determines how you approach god in, in romans chapter 6 verse 23 it puts it this way for the wage of sin is death that's what happens that, that because of sin that we die jesus didn't die because of sin he laid his life down that's why it's a sacrifice for our sins and so take, for instance, uh, the Roman Catholic uh, doctrine uh, of, of the Immaculate Conception, which says that Mary actually uh, was sinless. The, the, the only problem with that, around the time of, you know, uh, of the Reformation, people began to go back to God's Word and like, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. That's not actually in here. And, and uh, Mary herself actually put it this way, in the bible listen to what mary said when she was told by the angel she was going to bear the son of god she said mary said my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my uh oh savior you don't need a savior unless you're a sinner so out of mary's own mouth there we have the objective word of god she says i have a savior and was clearly understood in that is because she's a sinner. God doesn't need a savior. Someone who's sinless doesn't need a savior. And and so people started adding this up and like, wait a minute, this whole idea of of praying through Mary to Jesus, that's not what the scripture says. Because she herself said that she needed a savior. And, And in fact, it's pretty interesting. It was In 1854, that Pope Pius IX, he's the one that officially decreed the immaculate conception that Mary was without original sin in her birth. That was the 1850s, just a few years before our American Civil War, that that became the official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Again, a lot of times Roman Catholics learn this, but they don't learn like the timetable of of when these things actually happen. It's all right in here. You could check it out in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so Mary said it herself. First Timothy, again, going back to God's word, it's not through the saints that we pray to God. It's not through Mary that we pray to God. What does God's word say? First Timothy two, five says, For there is one God and one mediator, one go-between, between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Not Mary, not St. Not Saint Sebastian, St. Saint Jude, you know, St. Kateri, None of those. Only Jesus Christ. That the Bible says as followers of Christ that we can pray directly to Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between our Heavenly Father and us. No other, and it says there's no, there's no one else. No one else is acceptable. No, no one else is allowed. Just the man, Christ Jesus. That's the clear teachings of Scripture. In fact, Jesus said this about himself in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That includes Mary. No one comes to the Father. He's the only way that we come to our Heavenly Father. Not through the saints, wonderful as they were, not, not, not anyone else. There's no mediator, not even through a priest, as we'll talk about in, in a couple of weeks, priest or pastor. There's no in-between person. The Bible teaches, Jesus said himself, the only way you come to God is through him. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so Protestants, as, as, as Protestants, we don't need a priest to be made right with God. What does it take to be saved? This is what it takes to be saved. Jesus said himself, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, uh, I'm, the Bible says it himself. Paul wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not Mary going through her, it's not good works, as we'll talk about again next week. We'll look at faith in God in our hearts. We confess Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. In that moment, we're saved from that moment forward. The clear teachings of scripture. Just as Martin Luther said, here I stand. I can do nothing else. That's what it means. Our Protestant faith going back to God's word. That's why it's so important that we spend time in it. Not only when we're together like this, but also every single day. Because if we don't know what it stands for. We'll fall for anything if we don't know what God's word actually says. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone. Sola Fida, faith alone. Sola Christo, Christ alone. So let me ask you these two questions as we close. What do you believe is the ultimate source of truth for your faith? What do you believe is the ultimate source of truth for your faith? Is it this, or is it this, plus this as it's updated? Is it God's word alone, here I stand, I can do nothing else, or the traditions of men over the top of it? This was the question 500 years ago. This was the question, as we saw, 2,000 years ago, even in the time of Jesus and who are you trusting as a means of your salvation? Are you trusting in Christ alone? Are you trusting in someone else or your own ability to be a good person? Who are you trusting in as a means of salvation? I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that's been preserved for us. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifices that, that literally over time, Lord, men and women burnt at the stake because they translated your word into the language of the common people. Lord, John Wycliffe, so many others, Lord, that, that literally laid their lives down to preserve your word for us. God, may we never take it for granted. And Father, I pray that, that even as we start this series, that many of us, our faith would be unshakable, greater than it's ever been in your word, the power of your word, sola scriptura, our faith in you, sola fita, and Christ at the center of it all, solo Christo. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.